what we're about to discover today is despite the fact that we find it so easy to get it wrong, we have a God who runs towards us to forgive us, lift us up again, and say, let's go again. Are you ready for some good news today? And aren't you glad about this? Because, like, aren't you glad that God doesn't treat us like we treat other people? Are you, are you glad about that? Like, let's be honest. I imagine everyone in the house this morning has someone in their life who drives you nuts. Yes? Come on, like, some, you know, some of you are sitting next to your husband or wife now. You're feeling like, I don't want to say yes. They might think it's them. We know it's not them. Someone that you work with, someone you go to school with or college with, like a neighbor, someone that you always see in a coffee shop. We all have someone who drives us nuts, who, who aggravates us, who gets under our skin. The, the kind of people who say, I'm, I'm really sorry, and then they do it again. The kind of people who say, I will change, and then they don't change. And we get to this point, if we're honest, where we say in our humanity, I am done with that person. Can I get, get an amen in the house? I am done. Of course, I will forgive them because Jesus says I must forgive them, but I am done with them. Enough. This morning, I want you to know that God is never done with you. He is never done with you. He's never going to hold his hand up and go, I am done with you. You have failed so many times. What I've discovered is that the God who comes to us today, if you have fallen and failed a million times, he will lift you up a million and one. That's the kind of God that he is. He's the God of the fresh start. He's the God that helps us get restarted. It's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. He's the God that heals our yesterdays, gives us hope for our tomorrows and help for our todays. Whatever you've done, whoever you are, he's the God who comes to you today saying, come on, get up. Let's go again. Let's go again. Anyone in the house feel like they need a fresh start today? Anyone in the house feel like they need a fresh start today? Me too. So we're going to be uh, looking at a few verses in John chapter 1 about a guy who really needed a fresh start. But to fully understand how good this fresh start is, we're going to go back. And we're going to look at some verses in Mark chapter 14. And, uh, and uh, you can look at these, they're going to be on the screen as well. Everything's going to be on the screen if, you've, uh, if you're a guest and you haven't brought your Bible. If you're a guest and you haven't brought your Bible, if you're a member of Zio Church, bring your Bible. Can I get an amen? Do you, does anyone know what this is? This is a Bible. It's lovely. It's better than a phone because you can write on it. You can do things. It's bring your Bibles. <sighs> Those of you who have a physical Bible, would you wave it in the air very smugly for everyone else? Could you do that? Very good. Lovely. That's good. I'd like to see more next week. Okay. Bring a pen. Scroll on it. This is good. Okay. So, so here we are, Mark chapter 14. It's the night before uh, Jesus is about to be executed. He's had a lovely meal with his friends in an upper room in Jerusalem, and now they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And on the way to Gethsemane in uh, Mark chapter 14, 27 to 31, Jesus says these shocking words. He says, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight even, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. 
A few hours later, the peaceful garden is now besieged by an angry mob carrying spears and swords and burning torches, and they've come to arrest Jesus. And even though Jesus has done nothing wrong, he surrenders to them. And what happens as Jesus goes off? If you, if you look in Mark chapter 14, verse 50, what happens to all of those people who promised Jesus so much? Verse 50, then everyone deserted him and fled. Good intentions came to nothing. A bit of overconfidence, maybe. But like the night was only about to get worse for Peter. Jesus is now in the temple court. Peter wants to find out what's going on, and so he heads towards Jerusalem. Uh, He doesn't want to get too close because he doesn't want to be seen, and so he joins a group of people who are warming themselves by a fire outside the temple. He's in the temple courtyard. And we pick up the story in verses 66 to 72. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she began again, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time, and Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. Fast forward 15 hours. And Jesus' dead, tortured body is being taken down from the cross and put into the tomb. And all hope seems lost. But the amazing news is, the news that we're here today, is then something miraculous happened. Something impossible happened. Do you know that God is in the business of doing impossible things? And so this dead Jesus, because he is God, rose from the dead physically, bodily, rose from the dead and starts to appear to his disciples. Now, you can imagine at this point that Peter is, is wrestling with two emotions now. Because on one hand, he is so delighted, no doubt, that Jesus is alive. He is so pleased Jesus is alive. But he is also feeling this is going to be difficult. This is going to be awkward. Promised so much, delivered so little. I remember some of you know that I used to work, I worked for 18 years for a, for a charity uh, called Urban Saints and it used to be called Crusaders and, uh, and under the leadership of myself and the team we changed it from Crusaders to Urban Saints in 2007. And when we did that there was an avalanche of kind of hate mail and angry mail. Like it was, it, you know, Zio Church has been a breeze compared to this. And uh, literally about 600 letters and emails from people. And people are very bold behind a letter, aren't they? They're very bold behind an email in terms of the stuff that they say. And, and in the, and the years that followed, the challenge was sometimes I found myself in gatherings with those people in the room. It was awkward. It was, I could tell they felt awkward. I didn't want them to feel awkward, but I could tell they felt awkward by the way that they had behaved. And 
you can imagine that Peter is feeling awkward. I wonder if you feel a bit awkward around Jesus. One of the wonderful things about Jesus, which we're about to see in John chapter 21, is that Jesus is never awkward around us. He's never awkward around our failures. Like Jesus is not about to go up to Peter and go, oh, that's embarrassing. That's not the way Jesus is. Guys, I want you to hear today that, that Jesus is not disillusioned with you this morning because he had no illusions about you in the first place. Like He wasn't looking at you expecting you to be amazing. He knows, the scripture says time and time again in the Old and the New Testament, he knows that we are fragile. He knows that we're vulnerable. He knows that we're bruised. He knows that sometimes we are hanging on by a thread. There's that lovely uh, verse in the Gospels that talks about a bruised reed he won't break. Smoking flax he won't break out. He knows we're fragile. He understands these things. But Peter's worried. And so at the beginning, if you look at John chapter 21, you'll see at the beginning, uh, he returns to his old trade. Like he's failed at following Jesus, so he returns to his old trade. He thinks, okay, I'll go back to fishing. But he fails at that. He fails at fishing in the first 15 verses of John 21, and he's failed at following Jesus. And then into this point of failure again, Jesus rocks up. And before you know it, there's another miraculous catch of fish. And Jesus has made breakfast. And they're ready to eat. And after they have eaten is when we pick up the story that we're going to have a look at here. These amazing verses from verse 15 onwards. And, and it starts from a place of deja vu. Has anyone here ever had deja vu? You know, deja vu, it's the French word meaning already seen. It's when you have an experience or you hear something, you see something, and you think to yourself, like, I, I've done this before. And, uh, and this is exactly what Peter's about to experience because three years earlier, he had a massive failed catch of fish. Jesus rocks up, does an incredible miracle, and invites him to follow him. Deja vu. Three days or so earlier. Peter is by a fireside, like he's by a fireside now. Three, four days ago, denying Jesus. And now Jesus is about to do something wonderful with him. A case of divine deja vu. You see, Jesus wants to take Peter back before he can take him forward. And for some of us, we need to hear that this morning, that sometimes Jesus wants to take us back in order that we can go forward. There is a reality. My first thing for us to think about here is that we have to, if we want to be all that God has for us and be restarted in our faith, if you want a new start today, the first thing you've got to do, friends, is face up to your failure. And that's what Jesus is doing here. All of these deja vu moments, they're about Peter facing up to the fact that he has let Jesus down. To admit that he is not all that he should be because none of us are all that we should be. I don't know if you remember this quote from uh, Donald Trump back in 2016. He said this, I like to be good. I don't like to have to ask for forgiveness. And I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try to do nothing that is bad. 
I don't like to ask for forgiveness. Bless Donald Trump, although he did say, didn't he, a few days ago, I try not to lie. That's good. It's good to know he tries. I try not to do anything, but I try to be good. And listen, we all try not not to do anything bad, but it's extraordinarily difficult. I I remember years and years ago being on a journey up to Yorkshire with the chairman of Urban Saints at the time, and uh, and we we were on a country road and we ran out of petrol. Can you believe it? We ran out of petrol in the middle of nowhere. And so Peter calls uh, the equivalent of BMW's RAC. Uh, They arrived. For some reason, they didn't have petrol. He'd asked them for that. And so he goes off to... Uh, to get some petrol and I'm sat in his car and I'm, and I'm bored so I start pressing buttons on the, on the thing and before I know it there's a television that comes on it's amazing so I start watching television for the next half an hour Peter returns after about 45 minutes uh, I turn off the TV he gets he fills the, the, the tank up with petrol he goes to turn it and the battery of the car is flat he turns to me he says that is bizarre how did that happen I said I don't know I've no idea. It's so easy. It's so easy to fail. It's so hard to come clean. It's so hard for us to admit, I have messed up here. I have done the wrong thing. And what Jesus is wanting is is Peter to, to face up to some ruthless honesty. Ruthless honesty. Face up to your failures. We're going to go back in order to go forward. Now, we don't want to live in the past. What the enemy wants you to do is live in that place. You don't want to live there. But sometimes you've got to go back in order to go forward. You've got to, you've got to look at past failures and just own them and say, yes, I failed. Failure doesn't define me. I got it wrong. I'm not a failure. I just failed. It's an event. It's a moment. We try and we learn. And we learn and then we move on. And, and how Jesus is about to operate is wonderful. So let's look then from verse 15 of, uh, of John chapter 21. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now let's just pause for a second. I, I wonder what you would have said if you were Jesus in this moment. Or what you would have asked. Maybe you would have said to Peter, like, Peter, I seem to recall that you insisted emphatically, according to Mark 14, that you would never deny me. What happened? Do you feel bad? Do you feel sorry? But aren't you going to get on your knees and apologize? Like, you know, like you're written off. I imagine that's all the things that Peter was thinking. But Jesus wonderfully and amazingly doesn't do that. He asks this question. He asks it three times. The most important thing that Jesus wants to know of Peter is simply this. Do you love me? Do you love me? A question about love. Now this first time, as you'll see, there's there's an extra bit. He says, do you love me more than these? The other two times, as we'll see, it's just do you love me? People who study the Bible, scholars, they, they, they wonder what the these are. So, some think that the these are the fish, the 153 fish that he's just caught. It's like Jesus again is taking him back and saying, Peter, do you remember that three years ago, 
You had an amazing catch of fish. And I invited you to leave all that behind and embrace an incredible adventure of following me and becoming like me and embracing God's mission for your life. And you said yes. Here I am again, Peter, three years later, with three years of highs and lows and successes and failures. And here I am again saying to you, are you willing to put me first? Are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to lay everything down, even your success, your business? Are you willing to lay it down again? Do you love me more than these fish? Others say, Maybe what Jesus was referring to was the other disciples. Do you love me more than these other disciples? And by saying this, Jesus wasn't trying to get into some love competition. Again, Jesus was taking Peter back. Peter, it was only a few days ago that you looked at all of these other disciples and you said, Lord, I love you more than these guys because if they deny you, I will never deny you. And by saying, do you love me more than these, Jesus is really saying, really? Like, really? Remember, this conversation is happening in front of the disciples. And Peter's reply is interesting, isn't it? He doesn't say, yes, Lord, I love you more than these. He just more humbly says, yes, Lord, you know. You know, Lord, deep down that I love you. You know everything. It's the second thing that I've discovered that's really, really important when it comes to be restarted and getting a fresh start with God. We have to face up to our failures, but the second thing is we have to dig deep in devotion. We have to get to that place where we can be honest enough with God and saying, yes, God, I am messed up and I get things wrong and I find it so easy to do that but I want you to know I love you and I need you and I know I can't do life without you it's essentially what Peter says just a year previously you'll see the story in John chapter 6 Jesus has just fed thousands of people and then at the end of uh, that incredible miracle Jesus uh, he says some tough stuff and most of the crowd depart Most of them, even some of his wider disciples leave. They say, like, following Jesus is just too tough. And Jesus turns to his closest friends and he turns to Peter and he says, Guys, are you going to leave me too? Are you going to desert me too? And Peter says these amazing words you'll see on the screen. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter's saying, God, like, where else would we turn? Deep down, God, I need you. One of the most amazing things, I think, one of the most amazing grace stories in the whole of the Bible is the story of King David. David, the beloved king of Judah. David, who takes on Goliath. David, who has a city named after him, who has Bethlehem named after him. Like David, the most beloved king. And David, who is called in the Old and the New Testament, a man after God's own heart. David, who succeeded Saul, who God basically pushed aside and put David in place. And yet, here's the thing. David committed far greater sins and failures than Saul ever did on one level. Like on one level, he literally got the Ten Commandments. He saw a babe called Bathsheba and decided that in the next week, he would break as many of the commandments as he could. And before you know it, you've got jealousy, you've got covetousness, you've got adultery, you've got lying, and you've got murder. Five commandments in a few days he breaks. On his deathbed, 
He's got his son Solomon with him and he, and he turns to his son on his deathbed and says, uh, Solomon, all of those people that I've let live who are really nasty to me, kill them all. It's like Game of Thrones on speed. And yet, when you turn to the New Testament and the two times his story is told in the book of Acts, he is called a man after God's own heart. What is that about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about a man who was broken and messed up. But deep down, his sin and brokenness was a surface layer. Deep down, he loved God. And he needed God. And God was his driving force. And so he would humbly come to God and just say, God, I know I get things wrong. I know I mess things up. I know I get it all wrong. I can fail. But deep down, like Peter, I need you. I love you. You're the most important thing in my life. If I don't have you, I don't have anything. That's what I mean by dig deep in devotion. Not surface layer love. You have surface level sin. You have deep level love. Are you hearing me this morning? Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus responds to those kind of things. Someone once said, love God and do anything you like. And when they said that, they they didn't mean it was an early church father, a guy called Augustine. When he said that, which is paraphrased, he wasn't saying love God and then you can get away with anything. He was saying, if you get to that deep level of devotion and you love God, then, then essentially what he loves, you'll love. What he wants to do, you'll want to do. It's like that psalm, isn't it? It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And what the psalmist means is, if God is your delight, if God is your focus, then the desires of your heart will be his desires and he loves you to give you those things. Does that make sense? Love God and do whatever you like. And that's why Jesus then says, we read it in the text, what, what, what does God love doing? He loves people. And that's why three times he gives Peter this mandate, feed my lambs. What are we talking about lambs? We're talking about people. Remember I read in in Mark chapter 14, Jesus said the shepherd, which is Jesus in Old and New Testament, God is often called a shepherd because he loves us. He wants to take care of us. He wants to lead and guide us to places of health and wholeness and safety. He's a shepherd and we are sheep. What does that mean? We're mindless. We go our own way. We're a little bit stupid sometimes, a little bit foolish, and sometimes we're very bad. Listen, I've been working on that joke all week. It deserved more of a laugh than that. Come on, a round of applause, please. Javan hasn't even got it yet. Someone help him. I'm working on that. That's like my peak. Love God, that deep sense of devotion. And if you love God, then you will love people. Do you know, friends, and God's been reminding us about this as a team, we are all in the business of people. It's what life is all about, loving people. Loving people. If you love me, you'll love my people. So... So then we think, well, that's it. Like Peter has said, yes, I love you. And Jesus has said, great, feed my lambs. And we're back on. But no, Jesus isn't done. And so when we read on, he repeats the question. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What, what's going on here? Why is Jesus laboring this point? Is, like, does Jesus not believe it? And I want to say to you, Jesus does believe it. He wants Peter to believe it. You denied me three times. Now tell yourself that you love me three times. You believe it. And every time you say you love me, you are, you are nullifying. You are wiping out that denial. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus came to rub it out, not rub it in. Amen? That's what he came to do. Didn't come to like rub it in, you're a terrible person. He came to rub it out. And that's what he's doing. And then he goes on to say, I'm coming into land. He goes on to say, verse 18, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will, be, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. What's all that about? See, I think Jesus was saying to Peter, who has faced up to his failures, Jesus didn't even need to say to him, are you sorry? He he knew he was sorry. Had to go back in order to go forward. He'd heard Peter and he believed it. And I love Peter. Peter is like David, broken, messed up, but he loves Jesus, knows he needs him. And so in, in this moment, that we, in these verses that we've read, what, what is Jesus saying? Jesus, I think, is saying this. Peter, when a few days ago you said to me that you would die for me, you were wrong and you were right. You were wrong because your timing was wrong. You, you will one day die for me. You will. And tradition tells us that, that some 30 years later, Peter was crucified on the order of Nero's around AD 68 and 69. And, and just like Jesus predicted um, that the method of his crucifixion was apparently quite bizarre, he so was devoted to Jesus that he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus, and so he insisted on being crucified upside down. And so that is, tradition tells us, how Peter died. And so it's like in this moment, Jesus is saying, Peter, like when you were young, remember you did whatever you wanted to do. Life was all about you. And by the time you die, it will all be about me. You will be totally surrendered to me. Uh, Rick Warren, the guy who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, he says the journey of faith is from a, a place of come and see to come and die. Come and see Jesus. See how amazing he is. And then come and die. Die to yourself and live for him. And as you live for him, you will live for others. And as you live for others, you will find life in yourself. That's the whole journey of faith. And what Jesus is wonderfully saying, to Peter in these moments. Peter, it will take the rest of your life to grow a faith that is ready to die. I don't expect you right now to have a faith that can die. Every day as you come to me and surrender and admit your faults and come and admit that you love me, I will work in you every day. I will bring healing and wholeness. I will transform you every day for the rest of your life. You'll be more like me next year than you will be this year. You'll be more like me in five years' time than you will be next year. Because I'm working in you, transforming in you. All you have to do is press on with perseverance. 
Keep on keeping on. We are work in progress, friends. We're work in progress. Now, does that mean we can just sin and get away with it? It doesn't mean that at all. If you take that attitude, you, you mock the grace of God. It's not about that at all. But it's humbly every day. Do you remember if you've been here a while, you, know, you will hear us say, if you want to follow Jesus, and I'm going to create that invitation in a moment. In fact, the band, you can come back on and, uh, now. Let's be ready. That essentially what it means to be a Christian is, is, is simply this. Christians live with three, three phrases every day. Sorry, thank you, and help. Every day. Sorry. God, I'm sorry. I'm not all that I should be. I, I did that. I thought that. I'm still failing. And in my failure, I deny you. I am sorry, God. Thank you. But thank you that you love me. Thank you that you picked me up again. Thank you that in in a way that I can't fully understand, you took my brokenness and my sinfulness and my selfishness on the cross. And you rose again, destroying its power and destroying death itself. And you offer me forgiveness and that relationship. And every single day for the rest of my life, as I come to you and say, help me. The power of that sin in my life is getting weaker and weaker. And the power of the spirit in my life is getting stronger and stronger. And I'm becoming more like you. Hey, maybe one day, God, I would die for you. Is anyone in the house hearing me? The journey of the rest of your life is becoming like Jesus. And it starts today. So let's stand.